one. Um, all right, okay, everyone, welcome. Thank you to all of our followers out there coming in for another episode here at the uh, Film Roundtable. Um, before we get started, as usual, we wanna give a nice shout out to RE Rentals who were so kind enough to be our sponsors for all of these roundtable sessions. So uh, thank you to RE Rentals for helping us out. Um, and as always, if you feel that there's a back episode you wanna catch up on, uh, you can always go to our vault at filmroundtable.org or you can catch the, the uh, video links if you wanna watch those. Um, and also as has been the case now that a lot of us are getting back to work, uh, the podcasts have become a very popular way to keep in touch with what we're doing. Uh, Film Roundtable podcast, you can find us on iTunes and uh, Spotify. Um, so today I just uh, wanna quickly introduce the group that we have here today. And it's a very special group uh, behind the documentary, One More Orbit. Uh, it's the documentary about breaking the round the world speed record. Uh, so with us today, we have uh, Colonel Terry Burks, uh, and we've got his essentially uh, his cinematographers on the show. I understand James Niehaus, Bill Bennett, and uh, Yannick Mickelson. Um, everyone just give a nice wave to our nice crowd. Let's say hello, especially for those that are watching. Hello. Us hello. hello. Um, and one thing I just want to do before we get started that we always do here at the Film Roundtable is those of us who know our roots and how this all began was during the time of the covid lockdown that we were all in, in a way for the filmmaking community to stay in touch and also, as we always say, to demystify the process and let people understand the value of the team aspect of filmmaking. Um, and uh, this is what we've discussed uh, always. And now that we're coming out of the COVID lockdown in a certain way, um, meaning that people are getting back to a little bit more of a normal work, uh, it's still very important for us to understand how this all began. Um, so we do want to always update where we are globally. So as of this morning, um, in, we, have, we are at 1.3 worldwide deaths due to COVID and 244 of these are here in the United States alone. And as we do know that cases are starting to spike, so please everyone, let's be careful and uh, let's be safe out there you know, as, 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 as best as we can in the time of this epidemic that's still with us. Uh, so please everyone, let's just join me in a little bit of a virtual moment of silence uh, at this time. Thank you. Okay, thank you everybody. Really appreciate that. It means a lot to us here at the Film Roundtable. Um, so, so this documentary, so uh, one thing that I do, that we've always talked about here at the Film Roundtable is the idea of a team that needs to support the creative force and everybody work together as a team to get something and anything done. This documentary is a perfect example of that. And uh, what I wanna start out by asking is, this is a situation where multiple DPs from around the world were working together to capture images as the flight team mm -hmm. makes its way around the world uh, to these different essentially landing spots where at a NASCAR pit crew efficiency, they would have to 
uh, do a hot refueling to get up and go to continue in their journey, um, averaging between 44 and 46 minutes downtime as they reloaded and all these images were captured before they were airborne again. So the first question I have for you, Terry, is how did this team come together? How did you put this team together? Yeah, so this was my first time directing. Originally, I was gonna be a pilot on the mission and it came together so late, I didn't have time to get the training and the guy that put it together said, hey, can you make a movie? So here I was thrown into the role of director and uh, I sat down with a friend of mine, Matt Scott, who's a professor at USC Film School. I do some guest lecturing there. And uh, we kind of wrote out what the story was going to be because I didn't just want to have, you know, eight guys sitting in a business jet for 48 hours. So we, we, start, we sat down with a yellow notepad on a Sunday afternoon and started writing out the, writing out the story. And I realized we're going to have to put a team together. So the first person I called was James Nyhouse, who had been my director of photography for an IMAX movie called A Beautiful Planet. Um, Tony Myers was the director. She was like my mentor and amazing lady who made all the space IMAX movies. And so she kind of taught me what I knew and James taught me what I knew. So I had done a little bit of camera work and some help with them. So I called James and said, James, will you do this? And uh, that was probably the smartest thing because A, I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be filmed well and beautifully because there's so much great footage opportunity we had. Um, and then B, I wanted to make sure I was kept on track and I knew James would help, you know, as a first time director, he would help mentor me through that process. And so he did that. So, so I called James and then from there he called his buddies and then I called Yannicka and we called this person and that person. And for me, I'll just say as a first time director, the teamwork aspect, which I knew about as an astronaut and a, and a fighter pilot is just everything. I mean, you got to have editors or the there is no movie. You have to have cinematographers or there is no movie. You have to have writers or there is no story. You have to have all the, the producers and just the whole thing has to be there. Any one of those pieces of the chain is missing, the chain's going to break. That's absolutely correct. And, 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 and that, that is absolutely correct. And especially, you know, having me personally worked in some live events as part of making a movie in the past, you know, I mean, this was just a contiguous 48 hour live event, which is the amazing thing about it. And right. you know, it's, it's literally, you know, and I, as I, I know, Bill explained to me before that he was part on the on the chili leg. Uh, James, where were you during this process? Well, I, I was at the Kennedy Space Center, which was the, the launch and, and landing point. Uh, so we had four or five crews covering <laughs> all the preps and, and everything, then the takeoff and then the recovery at the end, whenever they landed. Uh, so we, uh, we, I was here uh, at the very last minute, they asked me to go on the flight because of uh, all the, the overhead that Yannicka had taken on with the live stream. Uh, and uh, so it came time for me to get on the airplane and they were weighing everything because the margins of performance were so critical. Uh, they only had 62 pounds, I think, left whenever it was my turn to get on the scale. So uh, <laughs> rather, rather than ship off my head in a box with a camera <laughs> attached to it, I decided to stay on the ground. Uh, but that's kind of how I'm used to working, having, having made all these IMAX films, utilizing the astronauts as, as camera people. Uh, I'm used to sending my first crew off and, and not knowing what the hell they're doing. So, <laughs> uh, But... I had great people. I had Bill down in, in, in Puna Arenas. I picked him to go to Puna Arenas because I knew he was a pilot and, and could think on his feet 
regarding the aircraft, and that was going to be the most critical stop. And uh, uh, and we had people out in in Kazakhstan and and in Mauritius and uh, Dan and Nick, they were all great. So uh, it was it is a team effort. I mean, it's a huge team effort. Absolutely, and, and Yannick, in terms of you being in you know the the actual plane itself and went on there being your domain. Um, how long did you have to, you know, rig up all those cameras to be ready to go and test it out? So um, the official rigging started in Savannah at the Gulfstream headquarters, um, minus four days before launch. Mm -hmm. uh, but we actually started two weeks prior in London at the Inmarsat headquarters to start positioning the satellites. And you slightly maneuver their orbits to match uh, our, our, our flight, flight path or predicted flight path uh, and also maneuver the individual spots. And that process takes two weeks. And then begging any G6650 owner um, <laughs> in Farnborough if I could borrow their aircraft. That, that is fascinating. I mean, one of the things, too, that, you know, when I saw the documentary that people don't realize, and especially as you're trying to live stream this, there are places as the plane's going through where you're essentially getting into a dead reception zone where there's no satellite to blanket your transmissions, you know, which is obviously yeah. part of the process, uh, Terry, that you're used to in terms of orbiting the globe in any type of a space mission. There are periods where, you know, you're going to be out of the comm reach, right? Yeah, the NASA terms LOS and AOS is when you have comm. Um, so originally, Yannicka was supposed to just be a normal camera person, you know, filming the movie, but the live, we wanted to live stream it. And that, that's a really complicated thing. You just don't log on to the Wi-Fi like you do on United Airlines. It, it, uh, it was a massive thing that it took all of her time. Yeah, I don't think any of us really understood uh, mm -hmm. how much of a t or time it would take, because I think most people for granted just take for granted that uh, Wi-Fi works on the airplane, but not for a live stream, and specifically not at the altitude we were working at and going Mach 0.9 most of the way, which is almost the speed of sound, um, the requirements uh, to beam that signal up to the satellite and also get communication back from the satellite. It's quite an undertaking that's never been done before. Uh, and even I actually wasn't aware of that. <laughs> you can't live stream 4K footage <laughs> to YouTube via all the satellites surrounding us but we did it yeah it, as director it was great I was like I had no idea what was going on I didn't want to know what was going on just live stream it and I could worry about the other stuff it was it was good but if ever, in case anybody's feeling sorry for Jim because he got the poor guy got booted off the airplane he did get to fly in the f-104 which is you know this really cool well, fighter so he got so did Bill. he got to film <laughs> I know so the other thing was so unfortunately we're like Jim there's not enough weight and so we said, well, why don't we? Why don't you fly down to Punta Arenas, and we'll fly three quarters of the way around Earth, and you can join us for the last leg, because we had margin on the last leg. We didn't need all the gas, because uh, it was only ten hours. So it was a short leg, um, but we were going to get three quarters around the Earth before he could get down there on American Airlines. So, um, so, and I'll, in case anybody's feeling sorry for Bill, we called up Bill, and I said, hey, Bill, when you're filming us. Just keep your passport in your back pocket. And as you feel me getting on the airplane, just follow yeah. me on the airplane. So, which is exactly what he did. Yeah. yeah. Very flexible. Yeah. I, I drew the short straw. James tapped me <laughs> to go to Punta Arenas. Now, the flight was in July. And, you know, of course, in the northern middle of the summer. Summer. Middle of the summer. Yeah. 
in <laughs> as I was as, in Punta Arenas, which is about as far south as you can get in the globe without being in Antarctica. There are mm -hmm. a, a couple cities, Ushuaia, that's a little farther south, did not have an appropriate airport. So mm -hmm. we were in a place called Punta Arenas, Chile, where it was the dead of winter. And the aircraft was scheduled to arrive a little bit before midnight in low ceilings and freezing rain. And so uh, all of you filmmakers out there, if you've ever had to try to shoot uh, video or film in freezing rain, the equipment doesn't like it and you don't like it either. So uh, we were praying that everything would keep running. We were shooting with Amiras, uh, Fujinon zoom lenses, and then also um, Sony Alpha 7s on gimbals down there in Punta Arenas. We had three camera teams. One group was up in the tower uh, in the radar room. And uh, then two of us, myself and Kasusha Jenenfeld, who came from the United States with me, we were down on the airfield when the aircraft arrived. And you guys alluded to it earlier. It's actually very frightening when you realize there's no take two. When the aircraft descended out of the clouds and touched down, well, the first mm -hmm. thing was there was some nervousness that the aircraft wouldn't be able to touch down because the ceilings were too low. But yeah. there really wasn't any place else for them to go. In talking to the pilots later, they had said, we're landing. We have no choice. They arrived with 30 minutes worth of fuel left after coming from the other side of the world in the Indian Ocean in Mauritius was where they started. Um, and then they literally spent 30 minutes refueling the extra five minutes was taxiing to the fueling stand and taxiing back out to the runway for a 40 minute turnaround. So we had to shoot everything, everything we shot, it was only gonna happen once. And a lot of critical things like seeing the fuel hoses being plugged in, seeing the flight engineer inspecting the various parts of the aircraft, that was all only gonna happen once. And it was like covering a news event. You were, we were more of a news yeah. crew than uh, you know, a cinema crew, really. Exactly. And, um, and, and when we unexpectedly had to shut the engines down, I ran back to the hellhole and here Banner, flight engineer, is hacking through frozen <laughs> urine. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah maybe, uh, Terry, you can tell a little bit of the story because you understand it better. When they were crossing the South Pole, the, it, got, it became too cold for the certifications of the aircraft. Yeah, it got down to minus 83 Celsius, which... At that point, you start talking about Kelvin. I mean, it's really, it was pretty cold. Um, but, you know, <laughs> yes, it was very cold to say the least. Um, but one of the things I want to say, it's kind of a funny story. When, you know, I asked Jim as our DP, so he was really running the show. And we, we picked all these teams, uh, three refueling spots, the Kennedy Space Center, Doha, Qatar, which Doha. was our mission control, which was where the airplane was from, and on board. So we had six different filming locations. In the credits, there's 200 people for this 48-hour documentary. And um, we had a meeting. I was in Germany doing a speech. And anyway, it was like the, it was the director's meeting, the DP meeting, right? So we got all the crews together. I said a few words. And the, the words I said were really important. It was like, look, guys, we the visuals are, are critical, but more important than that is the story. We need human story. I want human stories and I don't know what they are. You're, Bill, you're going to Punta Arenas, you're going everywhere. So you guys are all experienced, you know, try and find some human stories and they did. And then I turned it over to Jim and he, and years ago when I was on Beautiful Planet, I remember thinking, 
I want to be a cinematographer. And I, I've spent a lot of time at the ASC and I've gotten to know everybody there. And I love, like, I feel like I'm with my people when I'm at the ASC. <laughs> and I thought that's, you know, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And then Jim started speaking in tongues and I don't know what he said for like an hour. He started saying words and frames per second. And I literally had no idea what he said. And it was literally like career counseling. I realized at that moment that I'm never going to be a, a cinematographer. I love them and I love working with them, but it was, it was a really interesting point. But back to the story part, Tony, who unfortunately passed away last year, she's, the film was dedicated to her. But she and Jim, I think you and Tony trained 150 astronauts over the last 30 yeah. years or something, right? A lot of, lot of people. A lot of, lot of people. She used to always say, um, and she would have her, her shot list. And I would have these weekly calls like, what shots do you want me to take this week when I was on the space station? And she would always say, Terry, if you see aliens, don't not film them just because they're not on the shot list. <laughs> and uh and it was, it was funny, but it's true. And like, if you're filming a feature film, it's a little bit different, but especially for documentaries, like if you see something, film it. And Bill, you, I think it was your fixer was the most amazing guy. We, we put hit, you interviewed him. Mm -hmm. You had yeah. the foresight to interview him. He did an amazing interview and it, well, it made it in the movie. We made. You're talking about the yeah. spontaneity. In the center of town, in the town square is a statue of Magellan. Right. Which, by the way, is a 500th anniversary. Yeah. It was the 50th yeah. anniversary of Apollo, 500th of Magellan. Yeah. They're having a parade in the middle of town. And I'm thinking, wow, they're having a parade for one more orbit. <coughs> and they said, no, 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 no. This is the 500th anniversary of Magellan sailing past in front of Punta Arenas because he was down there probing all these inlets, looking for a passage to right. the ocean for his circumnavigation 500 years ago. So right. I said, cool, we filmed the celebration, but we also filmed his statue and his name and then filmed our fixer talking about the significance of Magellan and world exploration and circumnavigation attempts. And it was the most amazing segue. So I called Terry back or I texted him and said, this is just amazing that there's this yeah. segue between Magellan 500 years ago and then this, mm -hmm. which was celebrating the 50th anniversary of men walking on the moon. Yeah, yeah, and it's in the film. And we had a similar story in Mauritius. Uh, Nick Sadler, who was in Mauritius, met the lady who had announced the Apollo landing on Mauritian national TV 50 years prior. And then in Kazakhstan, Dan Green, a Canadian filmmaker, interviewed my Russian crewmate, Gennady Padalka, the person with the most time in space. He flew on a leg with us. Anyway, so my point is, uh, you know, if you see a story, film it. And it, three of those made it into this movie. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, especially, <clears throat> and it's interesting, so Terry, and it's such a wise thing you said, like in this doc form, it says sitting down initially and understanding what the story's about. So it's not about eight right. people, like just in a plane. And then right. <clears throat> through this story evolving, the layers of happenstance, the Magellan piece, you know, things right. like that come up, which become such an important thread. The piece I honestly love, and you need to explain furthermore, is how you're going to get delayed going through Eastern Europe Kazakhstan and essentially yeah. you're able to name drop which is what we do in the film business yeah. <laughs> get people to do things for you so that flight control could make sure that you weren't diverted tell us about that uh, if you, it's a, by the way I, I'm new at Hollywood but it's amazing what Jim Nyehouse's name does for you out there <laughs> um, so we're going over the North Pole <coughs> and the Russians have a specific routing to go to Kazakhstan 
one of our pilots, Yevgen Vasilenko, is Ukrainian. And so he has this conversation in Russian language and we're going to pick up the hero of Russia, Gennady Ivanovich Padalka, um, who I flew with. And I, when I was commander, I, I handed over command to him of the space station. He's also spent 879 days in space, which is more than anybody. And he's like the star of the movie. He's, he's really great. <coughs> But when he told the, the controllers that we were going, you know, all over the place and they just gave us direct to Kazakhstan. So it was it was pretty cool. And that's the way it works in Russia. If you if you're a hero of Russia, you go, you go to the front of the line. So that's yeah. that was a pretty cool story. Well, yeah, that works in a lot of places, in pole, which is a really interesting from a pilot's perspective. This aircraft had a very sophisticated navigation system based upon GPS and GLONASS and initial and I sat in the cockpit when I was flying on the last leg, it was the middle of the night and had the chief pilot basically describe all the systems in the airplane. Then when I was looking at the video, the completed film and someone sat, it was probably Yannicka in the jump seat and filmed the moment when they crossed the North Pole. And mm -hmm. you have to think about this from a navigation point of view mm -hmm. in, the, in front of the pilot, one of the instruments shows a compass rose and the compass rose always has the direction you're heading north uh, at the top. Say, so if you're heading north, there's an N at the top and then it goes 10, 20, 30, 40, all the way around to 360. And when in an aircraft, no matter where you are in the earth, if you're heading a certain direction, it shows you that heading. At the moment you cross the North Pole, every heading is south. Every single one of them, no matter mm -hmm. which way you go at that moment, it's south. So well, the navigation system for a brief moment went nuts and you could see the compass rose literally spinning. And I don't know if that's uh, obvious to a lot of people who watch the film, but if you're an aviation enthusiast, yeah. none of us are ever going to have to fly directly over the North Pole. And now you get to see what happens. Yeah, right. that's that's why I wasn't worried about Terry getting lost is, you know, <laughs> you leave KSC, you fly north, you cross the North Pole, you go south, you fly yeah, south. south Pole, yeah. you go north. I mean, who can get lost doing that? <laughs> it's very easy direction. Even the Air Force pilot could follow that. Yeah, yeah. But the system basically divides by zero and it spins and it goes crazy. That was a cool little part of the movie for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was definitely fascinating for people who don't understand that tech aspect. And Bill, you're absolutely yeah. right. I was fascinated by that. I'm like, because that, you know, that falls into like all, you know, as a kid, when you read about the Bermuda Triangle and all these like weird things, you're <laughs> like, oh my God, there's a navigational anomaly happening right, right there over the North Pole. Right. I also thought it was amazing too, Terry, <clears throat> how obviously you have viewed the Earth so many times from space, yeah. but how even viewing it this way was entirely different for you because of the detail you were able to see because yeah. A, you weren't as high and B, you weren't going as fast. So yeah. it was interesting to see it through your eyes, even though you have seen the earth from above, maybe more than most people ever will in their lifetime, how on this specific journey, it was different. Yeah, for sure. So there's a couple layers of the film. It's the setting the world record on the anniversary of Apollo. The film's really about how people, how exploration can bring people together in this world where everything's dividing us. This is one thing that can bring us together. But then part of it was comparing space and, and air orbiting in an airplane, orbiting in a spaceship. And so from space, you just see things and a minute or two later, they're gone. And I remember the first time I looked out and I saw the ice over Northern Canada, I remember thinking, okay. And then I, I was expecting it to be gone. And I looked out a few minutes later and it was still there. And I thought, wait a minute. 
And then like, it just stayed there. And, and it was really weird for me because everything about this mission felt like a space mission. It, the running up to launch, you're super busy. We had schedules, the family came to meet us. We did talks to schools from an orbit. So a part of the movie is just comparing what it's like in, to orbit in space right. and what it's like to orbit in the airplane. And this mission really felt, I, it blew me away how much it was like a space mission. Yeah, that was very fascinating. And clearly, as you said, also in terms of laying out a story, the drama of, hey, what's it gonna be like going over the South Pole? Like the unknown, yeah. let, that's like the unknown vector, right? Making it to Southern Chile, you know, is where the, the drama lives. The problem was, you know, it was a Qatar Airways airplane. So I, I was limited in what I could show. I, did, I wanted to make it as dramatic and scary as possible because there were some dramatic and scary things, but I had to make it look safe and professional and, you know, we had good food. And so it was this, it was a balance <laughs> because it was a Qatar Airways airplane. So my buddies were giving me a hard time, like, I hope you're going to, you know, push the boundaries of, of human capability while you're eating your lobster bisque. Good, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just decided to own it. I'm like, you're right. I'm riding on a Gulf stream and you're not. So I just, you know, we just owned it. And I mean, there was, there was definitely some danger for sure. Um, but we there couldn't was, show it all. <laughs> we, we had uh, a flight attendant along. Yeah. We had yeah. a flight attendant. Yeah. Right. Flight exactly. Attendant. Yeah. On the airplane yeah. in Mauritius, she hands me a drink. I'm standing right. <laughs> a, not, a non-alcoholic drink, by the way. Uh -huh. yeah. And she hands yes. me a drink. You know, so yeah. we had a flight attendant. So it wasn't right. that bad. No, yeah, yeah but she, she was also there in case we had to emergency land oh, on the South Pole. Yeah. So in Antarctica, right. <laughs> she had all her all her uh, security, you know, she's she's a, she's the medical on board. Yeah. yeah, she had to bring special gear for us. But you, ha you have to mention the fact that, you know, aircraft traveling to different continents around the world never cross over South Pole. No, the North Pole. To go if yes, right. And you you guys go near the North Pole. Go in Europe to yeah. West, you go near the North Pole. But no one ever goes over the South Pole. And no. so when, when it got so cold, we had to descend to warm up. And the pilots just descended. <laughs> Without talking <laughs> to air traffic control, which is like, well, yeah. no, no. There, there, that's a no one yeah, would ever no consider that. Well, there's no other airplane. We were literally there was one airplane over Antar over the continent of Antarctica, and it was us. Um, and when and yeah, so that that was uh, it, it was definitely not something that anyone will probably ever do. I mean, just planes don't fly over the South Pole. And also probably something an aircraft will never do again. Actually, at least not the speed. Not that we not, were going. not not for a while. Yeah. So no, you talked yeah, to Bill. the people at the South Pole station briefly as you were crossing. We did, ocean. yeah. Talk about that a little bit because they were a bunch of lonely people down there who don't get to yeah. talk to anybody. <laughs> they they were really lonely. So I wanted to, again, <laughs> I wanted to put that in the movie because it was really cool. But A, I forgot to change the batteries in the little lapel mic. And, um, and B, they didn't want it because they're scientists on their scientific mission and they didn't want to be seen as having fun, I guess. So... <laughs> But it was, they were so excited. We called them on a VHF radio. Some guy went out in the minus 55 degree weather and did a time lapse of us flying over. It was a cool little oh, picture. Wow. Um, there was only, it wasn't hard to pick out our airplane because we yeah, were the one. Yeah, the one in the sky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they were super excited. These guys are down there for months and months looking for neutrinos to see if there's dark matter and, you know, seeing if the ice is melting and the, the stuff that scientists do. Um, and they, they don't get to talk to 
people very often. So it was, they were excited. That was, that was a really cool part of the mission. And then it was like, oh shit, it's minus 83 degrees. And it dropped really quickly. It was like minus 75, minus 76, and all of a sudden, boop, 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 boop. So that they had to, the pilots had to descend. And we ended up burning a lot of oil. We, we burned a and stop yeah, we pumped to the engines. We burned a lot more oil than normal. And the like Yannicka said, the urine lines froze. So poor Ben, our, we had an engineer with us and he did not smell good after that leg. You remember that, Bill? I do. <laughs> yeah. I got on the airplane and went, wow. I didn't I thought it was gonna be rough in here. I didn't realize it was gonna be rough. What have you guys been doing for 36 hours? You know, is well, that was, you had mentioned earlier all your experience in space. When you know, when when James or you were called me up and asked me to get on the airplane, I had about 12, 14 hours to think about it. I think in any kind of flight except for possibly the military, nobody ever spends 46 hours in an airplane. Uh-uh. You're going, you know, transcontinental. Maybe the longest flights in the world are maybe 14 and a half, 15 hours. Those are the extremely long ones. Most people flying to Europe, it's 12, 14 hours, something like that. So I didn't know what environment I was going to be coming into. I was the new guy, whereas Mm -hmm. everybody else had been on there for a day and a half. And I was really surprised that there was a cohesive team on the airplane that were very adept at staying out of each other's way. Everybody had a job. Half the people were asleep, so you had to be really careful. Mm -hmm. Uh, right. Half the pilots were asleep at any given moment because they were rotating. And right. um, so you had to be really careful not to make any loud noises or wake anybody up. Uh, at one point, I was actually sleeping on the floor. Terry stepped on me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's not that big. And the, so, you know, the G650 is big, but it's not like an airliner, big, you know, no. so it's not for 10 people. It's, yeah. So, yeah. So the, all the bed equipment. Were, yeah. So I, I'm laying on the floor in the middle of the night. There's no lights and uh, everybody's asleep and Terry needs to check on battery charging or something and comes back and, and almost steps on my head. Not really. It's just kind of, <laughs> but uh, I, I hold a personal record of getting stepped on an airplane at Mach 9, uh, 0.9. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, that's, that's a awesome. tremendous record to have. Yes. <laughs> I'm also very curious, Terry, because now, you know, we we talked about exactly as you said, how you funded this team. You talked about coming up with the idea of creating this documentary, but like all movie making, like everything, we need a benefactor that steps up and allows this to kind of happen. So as you said, this was a Qatar Airlines and you mentioned Doha as flight control. So tell us how that germination came together. Yeah, there, a friend of mine, Hamish Harding, I'd met him at the Apollo anniversary gala uh, four or five years ago, and he had this idea. Um, he actually went to the South Pole with Buzz Aldrin, and Buzz got really sick, and his original idea was to take an Apollo astronaut on one more orbit. That's where the title came from, and it's a cool title. It was a way that he wanted to raise awareness of STEM and space and exploration, um, and that morphed by the time it happened all the apollo guys were busy because it was the 50th anniversary and they were literally booked um and and i called some folks i knew in hollywood and you know it was like wow that's awesome but uh everybody was busy filming or whatever so it ended up just being us as the talent um so we had to come up with the story but hamish really put the money behind it he had the idea he brought the team together and without Hamish Harding, this thing never would have happened. And so that was, that was really cool. And then Qatar was indispensable because 
you need mm-hmm. the Gulf Stream was critical, but this massive army of people they had, they had sent two captains to each place. So Bill was there with some of the uh, Qatari pilots that were making sure that the ground ops happened because in flight, you can only speed up so much, which is basically not at all. The way you can make time or lose time and make the record or not get the record is on the ground ops, so these NASCAR pit stops. They had a mission control that we were talking to constantly in Doha. So that logistical support that Qatar gave us, this thing never would have happened without those guys. I should also mention how the pilots at each refueling station were training a day prior to us landing with the refueling crew and doing sort of a dry run through to, to make this Formula One pit stop. You filmed that, Bill. I think the shot we used in the movie was actually from the day before. Uh, certainly in Punta Arenas it was. Yeah. Because when the aircraft the was smoke. there, yeah. we wanted to photograph the aircraft and you guys. But during right. our rehearsal the night before, we didn't have an aircraft to rehearse with. We were literally rehearsing with a mini, with a, a step van, a crew right. transport van <laughs> that actually brought us out to the spot. And it was acting like the airplane. And right. the, I don't know if it made it into the movie, but the um, high high pressure, high volume refueling system was really designed to park under the wing of aircraft. And many of us sat there in an airplane and watched them raise up this little elevator and plug this literally two meter hose into the bottom of the wing. Well, our hose was only two meters long. And then the refueling hydrant in the ground was only in one spot. So the aircraft literally had had like a one foot pad. Tolerance, right. Otherwise the hose wasn't gonna reach. Mm-hmm. And so they were rehearsing all of that with the refueling crew, et cetera. So I was able to film a lot of what they were doing the night before, like the guy wanding him into a stop. And then the magical thing happened was some vapor from the exhaust of the step van blew across behind him in backlight. It looks like something coming off the airplane. It was literally the night before. So we yeah. took advantage of the rehearsals to shoot a lot of the B-roll, for lack of a better term. No, that's great. Magic and, of Hollywood. Yeah, no, 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 that's great. And then obviously audience members don't know when you put it together. It's the right. illusion we live. We tell them what's re- reality. And also, thing- yeah, r- real quick, a lot of the South Pole footage, I had shot at the South Pole a few years prior in broad daylight. And then our editors just turned the brightness, <laughs> the editors turned the brightness Day down at nighttime. So a lot of the South Pole footage I shot and they, and they added in stars. <laughs> there you go. See, that that's amazing. You created your yeah. own visual effects there. Ro- royalty free. Yeah. And the, the other thing that and it's interesting because, uh, Bill, as you're talking about, and obviously the different pit stops, one thing I noticed, the presi- like between 44 and 46 minutes at each pit stop, even though it's a whole different group, it, it's a different layout, the mechanics are different. It's like literally everyone was fine tuned and in the jobs that they had to do, I'm not sure if you had the same amount of people in each place, but the efficiency of being almost to the clock in each place at, at such a similar time frame is really amazing. The, the other thing is, is you did interviews when you got off the airplane. There were yeah. local folks yeah. there, not just our crew, but there were there were local media there to cover them. And right. the, uh, fit yeah. that in. Yeah. Yeah, we were not sure if you and Hamish would be ready and willing to do an interview when you got down there, but we were ready to do it. Remember the t-shirt. And uh, we all got off the airplane bill and we were like, what happened? Who turned the temperature down? So we had to run back on board and get t-shirts and jackets. But we didn't have any jackets because there wasn't weight for it. We yeah, weren't we, allowed to bring parkas. 
Yeah, you, it was you freezing. Off. I mean, I mean, the fact that sort of like you are now in street clothes, and it was yeah. freezing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the fact that James couldn't make the last weight allowance, even I lost four and a half kilos just to add the last Apollo units onto there <laughs> to do the live stream. Oh, that's an interesting bit. And so yeah. then I, the one thing I didn't think about in all the grand planning was they asked me to get on the airplane. I get on the airplane wearing all this winter clothes. I've got uh, wool trousers on. I've got long underwear on. I've got wool socks, <laughs> a, a winter uh, wool sweater, and then this ma massive parka that's soaking wet. I can take that off and we can store it in the back. The one thing I didn't think about is when we got to Florida in July. It's nine, 97 degrees. 97 degrees, 85% <laughs> humidity. And I stepped off the airplane and I went, oh my God, I completely forgot because I literally flew in 10 hours from as far south in the world right. to southern to Florida. To the tropics, yeah. Well, one another thing I want to—I don't know how much time we have left, but I want to mention, you know, this is just a small documentary. This is not Star Wars or James Bond or anything. But um, we had three ASC members on the flight, which is—I—I'm pretty sure I'm a first-time guy, but I'm pretty sure that's ridiculous. Right? That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't happen too often. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jim, Richard, Richard, and, Richard Crudo, Richard Crudo, yeah, Bill, absolutely the ASC, right. And Yannick is FNF, Dan Green's Canadian, and, and you know, Nick Sadler's amazing. And so the, uh, the talent we had was really, really, really good. So it would be great for film students to study <clears throat> not my work, but the, you know, how these guys did this. And they were all hired, like, not long at all before. <laughs> there wasn't like a lot of time to plan it. Or, uh, one one and, detail yeah. that we worked out in that tech meeting that ended up being a lifesaver for the editors is we all knew we wanted to record time code, but then all of a sudden you go, okay, what time code? Mm -hmm. So we decided in the tech meeting that everybody would use the time and date of Greenwich Mean Time or what the, uh, the military right. or the aviation community calls Zulu time. So we all set our recorders, cameras to Zulu time. And that way the editor can lay everything out in a timeline that's 46 hours long Right. And line up all the various pieces. And at that moment, they discovered a really amazing thing that you thought we coordinated, but it was a complete coincidence. Where I was sitting up in the cockpit, it was the middle of the night, we're flying, rocketing north over Brazil at 38,000 feet at 0.9 Mach. And every hour, the pilot flying would call mission control for a report. And so he picks up the satellite phone and I say, hey, can I film you? Little did I know that back at Mission Control, they filmed the same conversation. So in the film, you actually have both halves of oh, that conversation. The, right. the one right. crazy thing that happened is the picture card for that conversation ended up in the camera in Punta Arenas, but the audio for the little lavalier mic was in my pocket and went to Kennedy Space Center. And right. I had to tell the editor the only way you're going to find this audio is if you look in the hard drive that came out of Kennedy. And they said, why? And I said, well, I carried it with me. So that was the one little clue. But then they lined everything up by time code. And there, were, there they discovered both sides, audio and video, of this phone conversation happening in the sky over Brazil in the middle of the night. Right. Yeah, the digital tech part, the workflow part was really... James, you came on the airplane as soon as we were done and just immediately started grabbing... 
yeah. SD cards because I, I started so I started grabbing every every piece of media I could find, right. and uh, 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 it was it was an actually it was a nightmare. Uh, all those yeah, cards, it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> and, uh, but we yeah. I don't think we lost anything uh, with it. Absolutely I, not. I mean, yeah. the only thing that at uh, unpredicted, you know, we we did time everything to be on Zulu time, but. What I hadn't predicted even in our tech meetings was that uh, cosmic radiation was going to have such a big effect on yeah, the cameras. like space. Yeah, just like space. Mm -hmm. So I, I had three of my cameras completely fail on me and I, I could not figure it out until when we actually landed that the cosmic radiation had fried my cameras. I mean, it was, they were small cameras, not really designed for the workload they were under. Um, but you know, that's an unpredicted uh, thing that happens in film production that you can plan all you want. And all of a sudden something just comes left field and hits you out. And you're like, where did that come from? Yeah, it was, yeah, that was a big job, especially for the editors. Cause the poor editors had to go through <laughs> terabytes of video and we had six cameras filming constantly. And we think we got the first ever time-lapse of an orbit around earth in an airplane. Um, cause one, we had a one camera looking out one the left side going. that every five seconds and it's about a 20 some 25 minute you know it's painful to watch because it's so fast <laughs> but we have the first ever time lapse orbit around the earth which i had done from space but it was a little bit different doing it in an airplane yeah, it's so yeah, funny yeah. we have a one second stop in mauritius yeah <laughs> A, yeah. a, not, a 90 minute orbit is a lot easier to time lapse than a 48 hour flight. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. And there's a lot more to look at. <laughs> and half of it's We're black. We, we had yeah. 24 hours of daylight and then we had 20 hours of night. Um, I mean, we flew all four yeah. seasons. We flew uh, spring, summer, yeah. autumn, winter. Yeah, that's in true. In 48 hours. That's Sorry, true. Six hours. Yeah. That's really amazing. That's really amazing. I'll, I'll tell you what, Terry, you've learned the first lesson that all good directors need to know. Surround yourself with talented people and you will yeah. always look good. No, yeah. I, I can't say that I'm a, just hire, and look, Steve Jobs says this, the reason he hires smart people isn't to tell them what to do. He hires smart people to let them tell him what they should be mm -hmm. doing. And so that was my lesson. I mean, Jim got the movie shot and the editors we had at therapy were just amazing. And the, yeah. the producers, uh, uh, Brian Etzinger was amazing. Everybody was great on the film and you need, the director doesn't have to do much. If you got a good team, they'll, they'll do it. You got to give them some creative input in the, in the film. Uh, but it, the teamwork aspect was by far the biggest thing. I do some guest Absolutely. lecturing at the USC film school and that's the lesson I have for the, for the kids there. Absolutely. And, and me probably being the youngest DP on this shoot, it was an absolute dream come true for me to, to work under James Nighthouse. Thanks, James. <laughs> well, you're, Yannicka, you're also one of the two women on earth who have circumnavigated oh, yeah. the globe over the poles. You and the woman who was the flight attendant were the only- Magdalena. Magdalena, Magdalena yeah. 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 That was pretty cool. It was amazing. Did they give you a certificate for that, I hope? Uh, no, we don't have. We a didn't get one. No, we need to get one. We need to get yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was the Guinness World Record guy that brought it up, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. So so tell me now, Terry. I know. So tell me, you were just telling me before we all came on that you're actually, you know, in a place right now talking about a new short that you've made. Can you just tell us what you're up to now? Yes. Yeah. So this summer, Yannick and I are. She's in Norway, and I'm in Houston, and you know, we're like, what are we going to do next? And so. I wanna make a movie about space photography. It's kind of my passion. And so we found out that there's a film festival, which actually is the Houston Film Festival. It's something called Cinespace. 
and it starts tomorrow. So for the next week, there's this film festival with space movies. And so we made a movie called Cosmic Perspective. It's a short 10 minute film. Um, and it's about how space photography has changed our perspective about our place on the planet and with each other and in the universe, you know, all the from the early airplanes all the way through Hubble and, and my photography. So, um, and our goal for that is hopefully to turn it into like an IMAX would have been a perfect thing, but 2020 is a bad year for science centers to say the least. So, um, or I think like a, a, a TV series, Jim Cameron did a, sh a series about science fiction about a year ago. It was really cool. It was just him interviewing other directors while they showed science fiction. And I'd like to do a similar thing where I interview cool people and just talk about Voyager missions and astronaut photography and Apollo photography and Hubble. Um, so that that was the short film we made, Cosmic Perspective. F photography, space photography is the only thing that ties us together as a human race. It's the only yeah. reason why we know we're in a universe. But the fact that we have time and space as one entity. Yeah. That was a fun, it was, there was a lot of work by the way. I, I had the idea. So basically Yannick and I made it on our MacBooks, you know, with no budget. So um, it's, a, there's a lot of work that goes into making a movie. I can say that <laughs> as no, everybody watching this knows. Well, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right about that. And even, you know, I mean, you, I mean the fact, and we've talked about it already, you know, on, you know, several layers here, like what you guys have gone, the, the, the technological feat that you guys were able to achieve in doing this is, is truly amazing. You know, it's truly amazing. And especially, you know, it's an interesting thing also I thought about in, as I watched your movie was, you know, when they talk about the, the records that you were breaking and the planes mm -hmm. that had been close to it before are all so much larger type planes that you can imagine. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a totally different operation than what you guys were trying to do, you know? So, uh, and, and obviously live stream it and shoot it all over the place. You know, this is, yeah. this is definitely something that- And have I, a story, you know, the story about how people can come together, story mm. about the environment. There's a whole segment about how we can cure climate change. Um, there was like, like good science fiction isn't only about aliens and lasers and spaceships. It's about deeper things, right? Um, the original Star Trek, talked about race and talked about men yep. and women and they talked about Soviet Union and deep things. Father and daughter. Yeah, and so, right, Interstellar is a story about father and daughter. So um, a good show like this, I think, can have different layers. That was my goal anyway. And I think you achieved it. I think you achieved it. There's always something to be said that within the big concept of something like science fiction, if you make it just something that's so relatable storytelling wise, people will gravitate towards that because you know, it doesn't, it, you, you can just show how, mm. how deep, how the story can be so relatable in such a big construct. Right. Uh, you know, which is wonderful. That was our goal. Well, I think you achieved the goal. And um, I mean, and it's out there one last orbit for, you know, everyone who's listening now to want to, to want to try and, 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 and catch up and watch it. I highly recommend it. It's, it's very enjoyable. And you guys have really, truly done an amazing feat here in terms of, you know, collaboration and in terms of achieving something technologically that almost seems very daunting. You know, I really, right here, I give you my, thank you. Give you my thank clapping you. because it, it was, having done, been in this business for 25 years and done plenty of live event stuff, I know the difficulty of what you guys have achieved and it that truly was yeah. all of it. You know? Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. It was, we were so lucky to get to do it. It was a whirlwind. It was like, hey, can you do this? And then it was over. I mean, it was, it, yeah, it was, it, we were very yeah, lucky to have that. 
Terry and I were both at Cinegear at uh, yeah. the first of June uh, in 2019 when all this came together. Uh, yeah. And uh, then that you took off what July seventh? Five or six weeks before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and every day, Jim, every day for six weeks, there was a fire that was going to cancel the entire project. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> for like 40 days in a row, there was some fire that we had to put out. And if we didn't put it out, the whole thing was yeah. off. Literally. Yeah. And, 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 and Terry, Terry and I made a, made a, what, a 48 hour trip to, to Qatar and back. Yes. <laughs> in the middle of exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> the, the mission control stuff was filmed in the middle of June. Yeah. 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 Um, that, that whole thing was just insane. And, and, and we had a very, very, very major camera company that was going to provide us with a camera to everybody for everything, for the small, medium, and large cameras. And all of a sudden, we got ghosted. And hello, are you there? And they just completely ghosted us. So a week before launch, where everybody's beating the bushes, hey, what camera do you have? I got a red Monstro. I got a Canon. I got an Ari. And so I, we shot the movie on 12 different cameras, which I still... I just don't like the color grading. We we tried as much as we could, but with twelve different cameras, it's impossible. Um, but that wasn't that was just one of the one of the forty days of fires that we had to put out. <laughs> well, as as I said, I commend you guys. It's a it's a job incredibly well done, and um, it really is a very enjoyable piece to watch. And you know, you, you guys really did great in getting this thing all together. So. Um, I, I want to thank you for joining today. I think that this has been a great episode in terms of, <coughs> once again, understanding the collaborative nature of what we all do and, you know, how we all come together to, you know, work on a, a, a single story or a single idea or a, a single dream even, you know? Right. Um, so that, that's really amazing. And I thank you all for being guests here today. I know you're, you're all coming from different parts of the world. I forgot to ask initially. Well, I know, Terry, tell us, where are you guys right now? Yannick and I are in Dubai, Dubai right now. Yeah, we were just scuba diving in the Indian Ocean today by the Strait of Hormuz. Tough life. Life's Tough rough. Life. And Bill, Bill, yeah. Bill, Bill, no, it's not. Life? It's actually really good. <laughs> we're, at Hamish's, we're at Hamish's house. We're writing the One More Orbit book. <coughs> Excuse me. So we're writing a book about the whole adventure. So. And, and James, where are you coming at us from? I'm, I'm from uh, just outside the Space Center in Florida. I'm in Rockledge, Florida. Uh, watched an Atlas V go off last night, and uh, we'll watch the the, first, the second crew launch, uh, hopefully tomorrow evening, so to the space station. And, and, and Bill, where are you coming to us from? I'm, I'm at home here in Los Angeles. Okay, great. And I, too, am in a hotel room in Los Angeles, which is not my home, but I'm I'm here on business, but I'm glad we are all able to connect to from together. different parts of the world for this. And I thank you so much, everybody. You guys, this has been a great episode and I really enjoyed talking to all of you. And um, I wish you all the best of luck on your next endeavors. Thank, thank, you. thank you so thank much. You thank much. you, Doug. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Great thank you. Stay thank you. safe, right, bye -bye. stay well. Stay safe, yeah, stay well. Guys. Perfect. Bye-bye.